son bled and died and was buried. Can you imagine the grief of the women and the disciples, as well as Joseph and Nicodemus, as they lowered the lifeless body of their Lord and wrapped him up and buried the one whose disciple they had become? This was a weekend of grief and of silence from above. I'm sure they thought about and wrestled with and reflected on on how this connected with the teachings of Jesus and the claims of Jesus. And they were trying to figure out where the Father was in these dark hours. But early in the morning on the first day of the week, a few broken-hearted women came to the tomb to anoint the body of the Lord they had loved. But suddenly a great earthquake took place. The ground shook, and so did their hearts with fear. The stone rolled from before the tomb. An angel appeared with the appearance of lightning, sat on the stone, and said, Do not fear, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. Come and see the place where he lay. Personally, I have been having a hard time these past few days about these events. This week, which is one of the highlights of the church calendar, we gather and we celebrate with joy the resurrection of our Jesus. But knowing these truths, knowing about these truths and experiencing them in our everyday life are two different things. And if we're going to be honest, maybe you are also feeling disconnected. You see these two to be separate We see on the one hand this joyous, life-changing news of the resurrection on the one hand, and on the other hand, ongoing struggles and weaknesses in our lives. If Jesus is alive, what does that mean for us today? If Jesus is alive, why does church act so hopeless? If Jesus is alive, how is this powerful truth changing us and our community and our generation Maybe each of you can identify with this struggle in some way. Maybe you came today and you're an out-of-town guest. Maybe you are here as a visitor for the very first time. Maybe you came here as you always come, or maybe you are here out of obligation because someone told you to. And maybe you are here and you are struggling to connect the truth and the power and the life of this risen Christ with what you are facing today. We hear these truths and we wonder what it means for those of us who are hurting, exhausted with life, battling with anxiety and various fears, overwhelmed with questions and doubts and unanswered prayers and disappointments. A few weeks ago, I was considering which passage to preach from. And when I came across this one verse, I knew it. Matthew 27, 65, the teachers were asking Pilate for soldiers to secure the tomb. He replied, you have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. I read it and I laughed. I'm not one to make jokes in my sermons intentionally, but this, my friends, is comical. Go make it as secure as you can. I read this passage and studied it and wrestled with it and prayed about it and actually last minute changed the direction of my message. And I just have one truth to give you this morning. 
The life-giving power of Jesus cannot be stopped. I want you to see that neither death, nor the teachers, nor the soldiers, nor the stone can hold him back. He rose triumphantly, and he is able and willing to bring the life-giving power upon your life as well. This is the truth. The resurrected Jesus cannot be overcome or overthrown or destroyed or dismantled. We will first look to him, what it means that he rose triumphantly, and then we will see what that power means for us today, for those of us who are struggling to connect the event with the events of our lives. Jesus rose from the dead. He accomplished the salvation that the Father had arranged and which the Spirit was then going to apply. He demonstrated his full authority with his teaching and healing, but most fully with his resurrection. For if there was no resurrection, our faith would be empty and vain. But he is in fact alive, and so our faith is grounded on truth and filled with hope. Listen, the resurrection of Jesus is not like an ornate water fountain in the front lawn. Such a fountain is beautiful and precious and pleasing to the eye. You look at it and smile, but it serves no purpose. It's accomplishing nothing. And very quickly, it's ignored. You pass by it every day back and forth, and you don't think twice of it. No, the resurrection of Jesus is not like an ornate water fountain. It is more like a massive, life-giving flood upon a dry land. It doesn't just sit there. It moves with power with this strong, unstoppable current flowing for miles and miles, bringing life to vegetation and animals, the roaring river of life in Christ is coming upon others as well. Since that morning, it has been rushing forth with life-giving power, and nothing can stand in its way. His resurrection proves that when he screamed, it is finished The work of salvation was really finished. His resurrection is the foundation of our faith and also provides us with assurance of coming grace. Because if we trust in Jesus, we shall surely experience this life-giving power as well. I see you sitting here, and I don't know you. Your struggles, the issues of your heart, your questions. I don't know those who are skeptical this morning or those who feel helpless, but this I know from this truth and from my experience that our Redeemer lives. And if he can overcome death, if he can conquer Satan, 
then surely our sins and our issues and our problems are not a problem for him at all. The life-giving power of Jesus cannot be stopped. Let's look at this negatively. Let's see who and how they tried to stop him. First, the religious leaders. But the next day, that is after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember now how the imposter said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first I imagine that these leaders had a huge sigh of relief after the, res- after the crucifixion. They fixed the situation. They got rid of him. But maybe one of them had a moment of panic. Ah, the prophecy. Jesus had spoken of this in Matthew 12. Jesus spoke to the religious leaders and gave them the sign of Jonah. In 1240, it says, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Three days, three nights, three days, three nights. Oh, wait. Can it be true? Now the disciples didn't consider this for a minute, but the teachers remembered and in a sense believed and were worried about this, and so they quickly had to come up with another plan, just in case. The teachers knew the truth, and they refused to accept it. They had the knowledge, but there's far more to that knowledge for real saving faith. In James chapter 2, it says that a person is justified by works, not by faith alone. In the sense that these teachers knew, and in a sense they understood, but their hearts were against Jesus. Due to the hardened hearts and the blind hearts, they operated out of fear. We read in John 11 that their initial plots to kill Jesus was out of fear of what was going to happen to their position and their power. A few times we read that they were fearful of the crowds and that is why they changed their plans and the timing of it. And once more in fear they come back to Pilate. They had just killed Jesus and the very next day they came with another problem to Pilate with another request. Because of the slightest chance that the body is stolen and the tomb is empty, the rumor would spread that Jesus is alive, just as he promised. Plan A was the soldiers. Let's go guard this tomb. But in the beginning of Matthew 28, we see that plan A failed. So we go to plan B, bribery and spreading rumors. Verse 12, and when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the old soldiers and said, okay, tell the people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. Ice, Goranagan, Arashonera, Port Setsin, 
We see once more that even Pilate tried to keep him down. He had learned of Jesus quite a bit just from the previous morning. He had questioned him personally regarding all the accusations against him. And he was amazed at the silence of Jesus. Jesus didn't even need to defend himself. He announced, I find no guilt in this man. But the people did not accept this. He gave the responsibility to the religious leaders and said, judge him according to your law. And then he sent him to Herod and said, let him take care of him. But Jesus came back and once more Pilate held to his decision. In John 19, 4, see I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Crucify him. Crucify him. And Pilate gave up. He washed his hands, handed Jesus over to them. From the reading of the four Gospels, you will take note of what Pilate did and why. And we see very clearly that he was fearful. He wanted to keep the situation out of trouble. He was afraid of the crowd losing control. And to satisfy the crowd, out of fear of the crowd, he let him go. But once more, as we see in today's passage, Pilate was not able to do away with Jesus. Go! Uh, make the tomb, as, the, the guards and the, the stone as secure as you can. We have to get rid of him. Since the teachers went to Pilate for permission, most probably these were Roman soldiers, not Jewish soldiers guarding the temple. And probably they were given under the care of the religious leaders from the beginning. So they were probably there since the arrest in the garden. They were probably there during the Jewish trial and at the scene before Pilate and then with Herod. And they witnessed or were partaking of the flogging and the crucifixion. And these cold-blooded, war-experienced pagan soldiers were kneeling at the feet of the crucified Jesus, gambling over his cloak. That says something about their heart. They were around and they had no knowledge no concern for this Jesus. They were loyal to their duty, and they stood ground to guard the Roman seal over the tomb. But look at what happened to them that Sunday morning. In verse 2 of Matthew 28, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, listen, again we see fear. For those who find the resurrection a threat, they operate out of fear. For those who are living to protect themselves, keeping the self the center, they live out of fear. The teachers, Pilate, and the soldiers. And for fear of him, the angel, the guards trembled and became like dead men. They had seen much battle, but never in their military service had they seen or experienced something like this. They trembled and they shook with fear. They passed out, or they were completely frozen in place as they heard the words of the angel to the women. They had one job, to guard the tomb, to protect the Roman seal, and they failed, and their lives were on the line. 
they would easily have been killed for what they failed to do. But rather than going to Pilate, they went back to the teachers for help. And all was fixed with money. Go spread the story that the disciples stole the body and you were sleeping. It's going to be okay. Verse 15. So what did they do? They took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. The teachers heard Jesus, knew who he claimed to be, and in some sense believed that he would rise, but their hearts were against him. Pilate listened to Jesus' answers, was convinced he was innocent, tried to protect him, then gave up and turned against him as well. Then we have the soldiers who practically knew nothing of Jesus, but unlike the first two, they experienced something no one else had. The angelic presence could have changed them forever. They could have thought twice about having killed this man, but their hearts were against Jesus. They accepted the bribe, they spread the rumor, and they went on with life. Le <laughs> Look again in Matthew 28:11. The tomb was empty. And even those against Jesus admitted to this fact. The soldiers went back to the religious teachers in panic because the tomb was empty. And the teachers accepted this to be true because they neither sent an investigation nor did they arrest the disciples for stealing the body because they knew that was not the case. Matthew didn't need to explain why the tomb is empty. And in the sermons of the book of Acts, no one speaks about defending the case that the tomb was empty. That was clear to all of them. And if the tomb was empty, where, my friends, was the body of Jesus? Did the enemy steal him? The teachers, the others, why? And as soon as they were preaching the gospel, the resurrected Christ, they could have said, no, we have his body here. What if it was the disciples? There was that idea, what if the disciples come and steal the body and spread the news that he is risen? Here are a few reasons why that doesn't make sense. First, the disciples did not expect him to rise. Within their expectation of the coming Messiah, there was no room for one who would come, die, and rise. Jesus mentioned this a few times. They did not understand it or accept it. Peter pulled him aside, rebuked him, and said, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Did the disciples steal the body? No. They were not expecting that. Number two, when Jesus was arrested... They were fearful for their own lives. Matthew 26, 56 says that they all left him and fled when he was being arrested. 
Mark 14:51 A young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body and they seized him but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked with great fear they all left him Peter I will never deny you a servant girl a young girl comes he feels threatened denies Jesus 3 times and even at the crucifixion where were the disciples they were not there that is why only when Jesus said, this is your son, this is your mother, only John is mentioned. The others were hiding. Third, even after the resurrection, the disciples had a hard time believing this. When the women were there and heard the words of the angel, they ran back and told the disciples. All the disciples should have gone to the tomb. They didn't. Two of them did. Which shows that they were still fearful, still doubting. Thomas was not the only one. Even at the very end, at the end of Matthew, Jesus meets them on the mount. He's about to ascend into the heaven, and it clearly says some were still doubting him. Does it make sense that these disciples, the day after Jesus was killed, came up with a plan and went to the tomb to steal the body? Does it make sense that they got past the Roman guards, quietly moved the large stone in front of the tomb without waking a single soldier and removed all the linen from his body, left it there, and carried him out? No. The life-giving power of Jesus cannot be stopped. And if you are in Christ, Christ in you, listen, his, his life has made you new. His power is sufficient for you. His hope is reality for you. And in your life in Christ before God, there is now... No impossibility. It might seem and feel impossible to change, to believe, to love, to forgive, to grow, but the resurrected Jesus provides all that you need for life and godliness. The resurrection makes the impossible very possible. Inch vor tun choris vor an garelie, yes chem gernar pochvil. Yes, Chemgunar Purgavil, Yes, Chemgunar Mechis Tarnal, Yes, Chemgunar Agil, Chemgunar Sirel, Chemgunar Nerel, Jesus Harutuna Radze, Chemgunar Chenkunar Selaileves, Canor Izorutuna Pavarare Mezi. Pilate said, Again, this is funny, go make it as, make it as secure as you can. Can the light of the sun be darkened? Can someone keep the king from being exalted to the highest place? Can death really hold Jesus? Acts 2.24 God raised him, losing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Death could not hold Jesus. The words for pangs of death comes from the idea of labor pains. Like a pregnant woman cannot keep her child forever in her. The child will come out. Earth could not keep Jesus forever. He had to come out. He was going to come out. It was impossible for the earth to keep him in. 
His resurrection could not have been stopped. He rose again with new life. More than that, he gives life to all who believe. And none can stand in the way of this powerful Jesus. In Acts 5, we read that one of the religious leaders admitted this to be true. Referring to the birth of the church, he said, Let's leave them alone. If it is of man, it will fail. Verse 39, But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. And he was right. Jesus was not and could not now or ever be overthrown. One day the grave can conceal him no longer. One day the stone rolled away from the door. Then he rose, or death he had conquered. Now ascended my Lord evermore. Living he loved me. Dying he saved me. Buried he carried my sins far away. Rising he justified freely forever. One day he's coming, O glorious day. That day is coming. We get a glimpse of this in the book of Revelation. When John came before the presence of the resurrected Jesus, he falls over as though dead. In verse 17 of chapter 1, Jesus says, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forever, and I have the keys of death and Hades. If God the Son is rising from the dead, do you think a stone and seal and soldiers will keep him down? Do you think the plans of the teachers and the words of Pilate can stop him? If God the Son conquered sin and death and rose again in victory, is there any need you have he cannot meet? Any wound he cannot heal? Any heart he cannot renew? The life-giving power of Jesus cannot be stopped. We have seen what they have tried to do but they could not. And what about us? We've looked at him, now looking at us. How does this power change the disciples? How does this change things for us? When we look at the book of Acts, we look at the lives and the words and the sacrifices of the disciples. Can you come up with any other explanation to their changed lives, if not the resurrection of Jesus? If Jesus had remained dead, they would have known it. So preaching the resurrection was a lie. Do you know of anyone who is willing to die for a lie? Well, yes, there are many religious people who give their lives for their beliefs because they think it to be true. But if Jesus was not raised from the dead, the disciples would know that. Why would they sacrifice their own lives for something they knew was not true? That says a lot about them. Writer and theologian John Stott says, perhaps the transformation of the disciples of Jesus is the greatest evidence of all for the resurrection. Pochvazain, 
Look at the life of James, for example. He was not even one of the disciples. But you need to see what happened to this man. He was the brother of Jesus, and he was a skeptic from the beginning. And his life was changed forever. He, along with other family members, did not believe in Jesus. In Mark 3, the family went out to seize Jesus, for they were saying, he's out of his mind. John 7, for not even his brothers believed in him. Interesting. James did not believe in him. James was not one of the disciples. He didn't follow Jesus those few years. James was not there at the cross. The brothers were not there. That is why Jesus instructed John to care for the mother. But something changed at the resurrection. I love to read this. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul lists the people who witnessed the resurrected Christ. And he says that Jesus appeared to uh, Peter and the twelve and five hundred at one time. In verse 7 it says, Then he appeared to James. He appeared to his half-brother. He appeared to the skeptic. He appeared to the one who had not followed him all these years. And that changed him forever. And after Jesus ascended into heaven, there was a gathering of people praying. Acts 1.14 All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers, including James. But wait, there is more. If you read Acts 12 and 15, if you read Galatians 1 and 2, you will take note that James is not only one of the believers, he is one of the leaders. As Peter moved to plant other churches, it was James that became the leader and the pastor of the Jerusalem church. Some even think that he had a higher position than that. Paul considered James to be one of the apostles. More than that, in some of the early church writings, we see references to James, the brother of Jesus, in places where even the apostle Paul was not mentioned. He had that high of a position. And he wrote the book of the Bible, and he says in verse 1, look, look at the way he identifies himself. James, a servant of God, a better translation is slave. James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, if the skeptic half-brother of Jesus can become a leader in the church and identify himself as a slave of Jesus, is that not good news for you today? Do you see how the life-giving power of Jesus cannot be stopped? How can we explain such change in his life? According to church history, he was often referred to as James the Just because of the extraordinary godliness, the zeal for obedience, and his single devotion for prayer. He was known to have calloused knees. His knees looked like the skin of a camel because of the amount of time he spent on his knees in prayer. He was killed 30 years after Jesus, and it is said that he was praying for the people who were beating him as he was dying. What, what would change his heart? If the tomb was still occupied, if Jesus was still dead, how can you explain this? Surely the life-giving power of Jesus is unstoppable. And this is good news for you and for me. 
Because the same Jesus that changed the life of James is ready to change any skeptic here today. Any struggling person here. Any sinner here today. I recently read the following line from Gloria Furman, a writer and missionary in the Middle East. She says, A holy invasion to fill the void in our hearts has been inaugurated through the Spirit who descends on believers and remains on them. When the Spirit comes upon you, a holy invasion is taking place. Friend, listen to this and believe, and the Holy Spirit will take over your life. Ephesians 2. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us... What does it say? Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. When you believe in him, you are united with him. And so he died and you died with him. And he was raised to new life and you are raised to new life as well. Romans 6.9 We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. And so when we believe in him, that life is ours as well. Believe this truth. Believe in Christ to save you. But there is more. It seems with Christ there is always more. God who powerfully raised Jesus from the dead and through faith gives us new life as well is also working in our lives to make us more like Jesus. And this is a promise. 1 Corinthians 15, just as we have been born in the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Amen. May the eyes of our hearts be open to see these truths, and may we experience them daily. God powerfully raised Jesus from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavens, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and it is with this same power that God is at work in your life as well. If you are a disciple of Jesus, you are not left alone to struggle in the Christian life by yourself. You are not weak. You are not hopeless. You have been graced with resurrection power, which is more than enough to enable you to live a godly life. Maybe maybe for far too long you have bought into this lie. That you are a failure. How many of you consider yourself to be a failure of a Christian? We've had enough of that lie. Because the resurrected Christ is here, enabling you, giving you all that you need for life and godliness. I encourage you to bank on that truth rather than be driven by that lie. But there is more. With Jesus, there is always more. He gives life But there's more. Listen, what did the angels say to the women? The glorious morning. What message were they going to pass to the disciples? Jesus will meet with you in Galilee. The women ran to the disciples on the way, but Jesus saw them. Jesus stopped and said, do not be afraid. Again, go tell my brothers, go to Galilee, and there you'll see me. Why? Why Galilee? What was going to happen there? Look at the closing paragraph. Jesus met them, they worshipped him, and with full authority, he commissioned them to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything he has given them already. The gospel, listen, ends not with the resurrection, 
but with a great commission. And that resurrection leads to and empowers the great commission. So while the bribed soldiers with money in their pockets were running around trying to spread this lie, Jesus is is still dead. The disciples just stole him. At that same moment, the resurrected Jesus, with all authority, is commissioning disciples to go worldwide and make disciples of all nations. That was their mission. That is the same mission for us today. Jesus wants to save you and then send you. To send you out like on the unstoppable currents of a raging river. Let us join the global cause of Christ. Let us take great risks for the kingdom. Let us go and make disciples. Death has been conquered. Jesus is alive. Our hope is secure. His power is at work in us. His purpose will stand. He will reign forever. And so his work will be fruitful. So be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Sreli yegur hisusi, kumekherovit, kudegarotunerovit.